0: You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast, recorded live each Sunday at St. John's Anglican Church, Diamond Creek. This episode presented by Youth and Young Adults Minister, Kirk McKenzie. Tonight's Bible reading is from John chapter 1, verses 29 to 34, and you can find that on page 860 of the Bibles in front of you in the pews. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. So
1: our series is called look at Jesus. It's based on the first chapter of the book of John, which is one of the four books in the, Old, uh, in the New Testament about the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And so Jesus is a big character here at the start of uh, John chapter 1, but also another main character is this guy called John the Baptist. John the Baptist, well his name was John, John the Baptist is his nickname, uh, but he was Jesus' second cousin And he was a key leader in Jewish history. Um, Arguably one of the most influential leaders uh, in human history, really, but particularly uh, for the Jewish religion. And so um, he was doing this baptism movement where people would join him in the the Jordan River, which is the big river in the local area, and he would baptise people, give them a baptism of repentance. So repentance, as you say, is where you go, I've done the wrong thing, I'm sorry for it, And I want to change and live differently and go in a new direction. And so when you got baptised, you go under the water to symbolise washing away the sins of your past, the things you've done wrong. And then when you came out of the water, that symbolised rising to a new life and living in a new way. It was a very popular movement. He had lots of followers. People were listening to what John had to say. And he's having a big impact in the Jewish community. Um, But John always pointed beyond himself he always said there's one greater than me who's coming Um, eventually i'm going to sort of just diminish and sort of become less important and this one who's to follow is going to become even more important and so he mentioned that uh, when robin preached on the previous passage last week he was sort of indicating that and today he tells us who that greater one is in verse 29 he says the next it says the next day john saw jesus coming toward him and said look the lamb of god who takes away.'" The sin of the world. And I actually picture Jesus like literally pointing at Jesus at this point and saying, Look, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, why would you call someone the Lamb of God? What does that mean? This is something that perplexed me as I was growing up, and I started to take notice of the songs that were getting sung at church. It's like, gee, Christians have this obsession with sheep. You know, like we just sing these songs like Behold the Lamb of God and lines like The Lion and the Lamb over and over again in songs. And it's like, why do we do this? Like, What, what, what is going on? And the thing is, it is a bit weird to call someone the Lamb of God if you don't have the context uh, of the Old Testament and the role sheep play. Now, sheep play rather a significant role in the Bible, surprise, uh, and so um, particularly lambs. Lambs can be very cute. If you're not sure what lambs are, let's just have a quick reminder of what they look like. Uh, and they can be very cute when they're moving too. So let's just have a quick look at that. This is the little... Thing. Look at that, so cute. Drinking from a bottle. Look how cute they are. Oh, little coats. Aren't lambs so cute? Yeah. Anyway, so a lot of this talk is going to be about lambs dying. Uh, so sorry about that. Um, but um, that's where we're at so lambs they feature heavily in the Old Testament uh, and in in Jewish history Uh, here's the most famous example is the story of the Passover so in Egypt, the people of God, the Israelites were enslaved by the Egyptian people God chose Moses to speak for him and Moses would go to the Egyptian Pharaoh, the king and say you need to let the people go let them free from slavery. And Pharaoh would say, no way, we love slaves, we're keeping them. And so then God sort of stepped it up and said, well, we're going to have to sort of show you how serious we are about this. So he said, there's going to be a series of horrible things happen in Egypt until you let my people go. And those things happen. And each time Pharaoh refuses to... Excuse me, everybody. Thank you, Kira, what a lovely picture. Can you keep that on the... Keep that back there for me later. Thank you. Kira McKenzie, everybody. (laughs) Just gave everyone a thumbs up. So there you go. Where was I? Horrible things happening to people in Egypt. So, uh, yeah, these these things are happening. And uh, then God says, all right, well, the the, the big warning that they get is, well, if you don't let my people free, then all the firstborn sons in Egypt are going to die on the same night. And Pharaoh says, "Nah, get stuff from keeping the slaves. And so Moses then delivers this, uh, this warning, well, says this is going to happen. But Moses then goes back to the Israelites and tells them a way where they can avoid death in their family. He goes to the elders of Israel, and in Exodus chapter 12, verse 21, he says, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. So... You're to take an animal, a sheep, you're to slaughter it, and you're to use the blood to paint it over the door of your house. And the idea is when God comes in to take the lives of the firstborn in Egypt, any house that has the blood over the door, God will pass over that house. That's how we get the idea of the Passover, and that's quite a common theme in the Bible, and a, and a festival that was celebrated for years afterwards. So that the people with the blood of the lamb on their house would be protected from god's judgment on egypt and so people then uh remembered that and they then started to sacrifice lambs in in, in various for various reasons at various occasions in jewish culture and to just, i've got a list of times where a lamb might be sacrificed here so it might happen on the first day of each month all seven days of the passover festival which is remembering that story from egypt at the Feast of Weeks, on the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. I don't know, they're kind of the Jewish equivalent of our public holidays, right? So pretty much any time everyone was having a festival day off, you might sacrifice a lamb. It wasn't to be a dud lamb either. You weren't to go into the paddock and go, right, uh, which is the scungiest one? I will pick this one. It's got three legs, one eye, its it's wool's falling off, and it's fly-blown. We'll sacrifice that one. No, no, that's not the way it works. You had to give God your best... You had to find, as far as sheep are concerned, the perfect sheep, one without blemish, sacrifice your very best. Um, and so, so this was happening. And then the symbology of the sacrifice was very important. Um, and it's very important for understanding Jesus as well. So let me just go through it in a bit of detail. We believe that God is completely good. He is perfectly good. Now, if you think about it, when you're perfectly good, then you can't tolerate evil. Right? If you see evil and you have the power to remove it, you will remove it. Uh, if you're being fair as someone who's completely good, you will punish evil. God is perfectly good. He's not a bit good. He's not reasonably good. He's not fairly good. He's not like Star Wars where he likes, likes to have a good balance of good, light and dark, good and bad. He is perfectly good. And so when he sees evil in the world, if he's going to be fair to who he is and if he's going to do justice then he needs to punish that evil. He needs to wipe it out. He needs to wipe out the people who have caused it. But at the same time, he's good and he doesn't want to wipe people out because he loves people and because he wants to show them forgiveness and kindness and patience and all those things. And so it's, this, it's the sacrifice that shows this, the, 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 these two sides of God's goodness. His desire to punish evil and his desire to to show mercy and to show forgiveness. And so the idea is that the sheep subs in for people, maybe one person, maybe for a community of people, and that in, in some ways, uh, the punishment that we deserve is taken out on the animal. And that symbolises that God is not going to wipe us out, he's not going to punish us for our sins. It in a way shows us his love. Uh, it's not because God hates sheep. (laughs) It's not because, I I don't know, uh, God's anti-vegetarian or anything like that. But actually, if you think about it, um, animals have an innocence about them, particularly sheep, because they are so thick. And so let's just watch that other clip now, just to demonstrate just how thick sheep can be. So here we go, it's time to go outside. Oh, Bit of a problem. Oh, we're through. Like
0: no, we're not. Stuck.
1: Bit of a problem here, guys. Just back up a little bit. Try again. I'll try again. No, no, we're still stuck. Uh, and then, if you weren't convinced that sheep are a bit thick, let's just watch the next one as well. What are you going to do, sheep? <laughs> So yeah. Uh, thank you to YouTube for that. Um, so the point being, uh, actually, like, uh, no, I said this in the morning service. I said, like, we don't need to watch it again. <laughs> um, the point being that, uh, look, when when animals do things that, that might hurt people or whatever, uh, they they do it kind of by accident. It's because they're thick, you know. Uh, and I mean, I pr- I, I was t- Someone who lived on a farm this morning, when I sh- shared this, like, they are like, no, sheep can be vindictive, I've met one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but here's the thing. Uh, animals have a level of innocence that human beings don't. Right, because we are the most intelligent beings in existence, as far as we know. Uh, so um, let's just be honest. Sometimes we choose to do the wrong thing. Sometimes we choose to live selfishly. Sometimes we make the decision to hurt others, or to ignore or reject God, reject his commands. That's what we do. And sometimes we'll do that by accident, but a lot of time we do it deliberately. Animals don't have that level of guilt that we do. There's that level of innocence for for them. And then when you've got an, an innocent sheep, and it's, it's, a, it's a good sheep, it's a, per, you know, it's a perfect sort of example of a sheep, Um, then it's really showing us that the sacrifice needs to be innocent. Can't have a sense that we're punishing the sheep for something that it's done wrong. Now when you have this background of an innocent, perfect sacrifice that deals with the punishment of God and shows us God's love, and then you come back into the book of John and you read our passage today and you see John the Baptist point at Jesus and say, look, there goes the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, then it makes a whole lot more sense. When you've got all this Jewish history, then it makes a whole lot more sense what Jesus is saying. And if you think about it, John the Baptist is a Jewish guy. He's hanging out with a bunch of Jewish people, pointing to another Jewish guy called Jesus. And so they all get it. When he says, there goes the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, they understand everything that's going on. And because we've got the Old Testament, we have the opportunity to understand it as well. Now, John goes on and says this interesting thing where he says uh, in verse 31, I myself did not know him. I myself did not know Jesus. Which would seem strange given that their second cousins, at their, at the, that their mums were really quite close friends and that they both had miraculous births at pretty much the same time. You would think that they would know about each other. Um, perhaps have even hung out when they were kids. As I was growing up. So what does John say when he said, I did not know him? Well, he's not saying, I didn't know any information about Jesus. He's not saying, uh, I've never met Jesus. He probably did. He probably had a fair bit of information. They probably did know each other. But what he's saying is, is up until that moment in his life, he didn't really know Jesus. Now, if you think about it, pick your your favorite famous person that you've never met. Right, so you can know a bunch of information about them. okay? But do you really know them? I would argue not. Then maybe you do meet them. Maybe you get a chance to, I don't know, talk to them for a little while. Do you really know them then? Probably not. Maybe even you become sort of acquaintances. Maybe they happen to start hanging out with friends of yours and so you sort of get to get to know them in a little bit. But do you really know them at that point? I would argue no, not really. Like... You have to actually have that depth of relationship. You have to sort of realise these deep things about people before you can really know someone. And so what John's saying is it wasn't up until this point in his life that he really knew who Jesus was and that he really knew that he, was playing, that he was the Son of God and that he was playing this role of the Lamb of God. And he points to it in verse 32. Have a look at verse 32. He references Jesus' baptism. He says, "'I saw the Spirit come down from heaven,' as a dove, and remain on him. Now, if you're familiar with the story of Jesus' baptism, that's exactly what happened. John baptized Jesus, heaven opened up, uh, there's this miracle happens where the Spirit of God comes down on Jesus, looks like a dove, God speaks from heaven. And so John's there, he witnesses this, and it's at that moment that, he go, that it all clicks, and he goes, okay, I really know who Jesus is now. I know he is the Son of God, and I know He's the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world and that's why the next day or a couple of days later he's able to point to other people and point to him and tell other people that is the lamb of god now interestingly the book of john this is just a little aside the book of john doesn't mention the baptism of jesus you might go why not like if he's going to reference it why wouldn't he tell the story but of the four books written about jesus matthew mark and luke were written a lot earlier John's was written right towards the end of his life. He's an older guy when he wrote it. And so the the earlier three would already have been in circulation amongst Christians. So they would already have access to them. And all three of them have the story of Jesus' baptism. So when John's writing his book about Jesus, he would assume that you most likely have access to the other three, or at least a couple of them. um, And so you'd be able to know that story. So basically saving time, effectively just by referencing it rather than telling the full story. He also says that Jesus will baptize as well, in a way. He's not going to baptize with water like John did. He's going to baptize with the Spirit. And this is this idea, again, picked up right throughout the rest of the Bible, that when you become a Christian, the Spirit of God is going to come and live in you. That God's home is going to be in you. we talked about this a little bit before christmas in our teaching series before christmas on jesus and the spirit um repentance is a good thing to do that baptism of repentance that john was doing was good but jesus is going to take things to a whole new level Uh, he's not anti-repentance he's not saying ah forget that we've got a better thing saying repentance plus that actually god is going to help you live in this new way he's going to guide you he's going to help you pray he's going to help you make the decisions that you need to make in order to stay close with god what this means is that um kira's the star tonight being christian is more than just knowledge about jesus more than just knowing about jesus that's good it's good to know information about jesus it doesn't mean you're in relationship with him it also means that it's more than just repentance it's more than just feeling sorry about the things you've done wrong again that is a good thing to do hopefully you do regret some of the things you've done that have caused problems in the world, um, and so on. So that, that's a good thing, but that's not what it means to be a Christian. It's more than just doing good. Again, I encourage you to do good. It helps everybody out. It makes your life better. But Christianity is more than that. Christianity is about putting your trust in Jesus, who is the one who takes away your sin, and having the Spirit of Jesus come and live inside you and guide you into that new life. And that does include repentance it does include living and trying to do good it does include knowing and learning about jesus but it's also more i think sometimes what happens is we might get too focused on one of those things you know you think yourself as well i just do good or i just i just i just confess my sins um renee and i watched a movie last night where this guy does all sorts of, you know, pretty sinful stuff. And he goes into uh, the Catholic Church has this, like, confession thing where you go into, like, a booth and you just tell someone behind a, a dark screen all the things you've done wrong, and they say, no worries, say this many prayers, and then you're okay. And so he just does it over and over and over and over again. And he's not, he's not sorry, he's just going through the motions, he's just doing a religious thing. He doesn't really have that relationship with Jesus that we're looking for. When we think about jesus coming and living inside us that's making his home in us now god's home is heaven in heaven there is no evil there is no consequences of evil it makes sense then that if god is going to live in us that the evil in us needs to be dealt with and that evil in us is dealt with by the sacrifice of jesus christ who died for the sins of the whole world and I'm aware that some of you here might be saying, yeah, but that doesn't count for me. Saying, yeah, I believe that God would forgive the sins of some people, but not everyone, not me. And if that's the case, I just want to challenge you, I want to suggest that you are wrong. Uh, that Let's have a look at what John the Baptist says. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of a few nice middle-class people doesn't say that the sins he takes away the sin of the world everyone nobody has too bad a past or too dodgy a record to receive god's forgiveness please do not count yourself out of this deal it's very important so I want to pray for us now and i'm going to leave some gaps just for you to pray so you know, prayer is our conversation with God. So you can add some detail to my bare bones prayer that I pray for us. So I encourage you just to take this opportunity to talk to God about your particular situation in life at the moment. So, Father God, we are sorry for our sins. We're sorry for the things we've done wrong. thank you for the sacrifice of jesus christ our perfect sacrifice who was innocent and died for the sins of everyone who puts their faith in him thank you that we no longer have to slaughter an animal as a sacrifice because we have the one true and perfect sacrifice in jesus And Lord, we invite you to fill us with your spirit. Give us what we need to love you and to love other people. Help us to pray. Help us to follow you. Help us to remember your love for us and your forgiveness. Amen. Amen.